0: Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VDW Group, no purchase necessary. where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.
1: Hello and welcome to the channel's Shattered Subjectivity. In this podcast series, Product of Birth, I, Lou Stone, explore the memories of my upbringing, relationships, and life after trauma. The following audio you are about to hear is an unscripted, open narrative of my life. Well, a section of that life, at least. While I do edit the audio to remove any identifying information or material, the remaining is a raw, emotional story of my life from my personal perspective. Due to the nature of the discussions in this podcast, it is no way suitable for younger listeners or anyone under the age of 18. Additionally, these stories contain tales of abuse, trauma, and at times can be of a sexual nature. I'm using these stories to hopefully help heal my wounds, and with any luck, help someone else out there who needs to hear they are not alone, that they matter. I speak what I remember, and these are my subjective truths. Welcome back, everyone, to yet another episode um, of Product of Birth. For me, it's been a holiday. Um, the Christmas holiday has coming, gone, so it's the new year. And here we are at the beginning of 2023. Now, during my holiday, I spent family time with my kids, my ex, and her partner, and my partner, and we had lots of fun. There were people that we were missing. There were people that I wished were there. I've done so much thinking since my last episode uh, about the direction of things that I want and how I want things to kind of go and flow. And I think I like the direction that things are headed. And I think when I'm finished with my story, I'm going to go back and start analyzing different parts. I'm going to start reviewing, researching, and really diving into what it is that caused this trauma. What it is that impacts children to this day. Maybe we can get something out of it. Who knows? Maybe this is my next calling. I don't know. Probably not. I'll probably lose my attention ADHD is a thing. Anyway, moving on. That's my current goal, is to continue with this podcast and hopefully not just meander on about my past histories and my downs, because there were ups. There definitely were ups, and I don't want anybody to get the wrong idea that my life was not, you know, didn't have any childhood happiness memories. It's the memories that overpower those, though, that are the problem. And to say, well, look on the bright side, or you didn't really have it that bad, that's gaslighting. That's really taking somebody's, you know, what they're saying and not considering it at all. Uh, You know, considering or trying to, uh, you know, justify what it was that happened. Justification doesn't need to happen. It happened... I'm expressing and discussing it if you want to talk about it and what happened and how things could have been better, sure, but now it's over, it's happened. But that doesn't mean that, you know, it's suddenly better. So the reason a lot of this is jumbling around in my mind is I actually, during this break, got to sit down and talk with Susan. I'm not ready yet to discuss our conversation that we had. I will be eventually because I'm going to have to get there in the story one day. So I'm going to keep that conversation for right now between me and her, but there was a lot that impacted what I think and how I felt about growing up. She reassured me multiple times that, you know, the kids had it just as bad or, you know, that, you know, that things got worse after I left or, I don't know how any of those were supposed to make me feel better. Saying that my brothers and sisters were impacted the same way I was doesn't make me happier. It makes me feel worse. It means that that cycle of horror continued after I left. It means things didn't get better. It means he continued to have influence on people beyond me. It means his horrors didn't end with me. And that's a lot to grasp. That's a lot to understand. And that is not my fault. I can't change that. I didn't make the decisions that put that there. I didn't make the decisions that got us there. I was faced with the consequences of those decisions. I was faced with the consequences of the decisions my father made about my upbringing. I was faced with the consequences of the decisions I made during high school to not pay attention. I was faced with the consequences of being alone. All the time. Feeling alone. Picking back up where we were in my story, it was at the end of my Marine Corps career. I had talked about going on the float, I believe... Um, and I had talked about playing D&D out, and then I don't know how much of it I got into, but I was sent to the cafeteria as a uh, punishment for items beyond my control, for things that I couldn't fix or respond to, because I wasn't given the guidance or the permissions and understandings that I needed in order to make the things work that needed to work. So it was my fault that these things didn't work, so it was my fault that I had to take the blame. Coming back during my time at the cafeteria, the chow hall, um, I got put on dish duty. I was stuck scraping dishes of Marines and getting rid of all the waste, and filtering it out for the local farms to feed to the pigs, which, you know, it's all great and dandy, but this is a punishment. A punishment for something I have no idea why I'm being punished. I didn't do anything wrong. I hadn't done anything wrong that I was aware of. I had pleaded and begged my case and said, Hey, this is not right. What you're doing isn't correct. But it didn't matter that my logic didn't make sense to them. The way that I was routing things didn't make sense. And as I said, I had designed a database before I left, and had showed it off to a sergeant. That sergeant probably showed it to them, and when I got sent away, there was a private who had gone AWOL. It means he left the Marine Corps. He uh, spent his time and ran away. And as you know, that was one of the jobs I had, was to get those types of people back. Now, he did turn himself in, but he after the 30 days, which meant, you know, and he got demoted and everything. So he technically came back. But after that, he was a bit of a, um... uh, Kiss-ass is a quick way to say it. I, I can't think of any other way to say it. And I'm trying not to make it sound like I'm being judgmental about the individual, but everything was just, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. And there was no logic behind his. It was just this jump in direct obedience to orders. Which... You know, is kind of supposed to be there, but not. Why would you not question an order that doesn't make sense? It's not logical. That's how people die. When people's egos get in the way and they don't understand the logic that's there, that's how people die. Now, as I said, I fought it once and I tried to fight it the second time. Or no, I'd given up the second time and just went to the cafeteria or the chow hall and... That's where I spent my days. I don't know if I went into the story of how I got my name Lucky. It was a nickname that I was given for a while. I did go into my code name Firecracker, but the Lucky story was rather individual, uh, rather interesting because of my time at the cafeteria. I got to keep, uh, or got to go through the boxes of cereal first as we were setting everything out. And as I set them out, I would fill my pockets with one of the best cereals, which was Lucky Charms at the time. And as I did, you know my cargo pockets would be filled and I'd walk away from the cafeteria and enjoy my Lucky Charms later. Now, one morning, somebody asked me what was in my cargo pockets. I pulled it out and said, it's just a wee boxy me Lucky Charms. They're magically delicious. And from then on, I kind of got the nickname Lucky for Lucky Charms. I would later give up that nickname. I told my third ex-wife that um, I had given up all my luck on her. That I'd used it all up to find her. The name, Lucky, stuck for a while. Um, It was used regularly, and everyone knew me by that name. Uh, That name carried over towards, like I said, the end of my Marine Corps career. Um, While I was out also in 29 Palms, California, out at the base out there getting ready for the float in the hot cafeteria, that's when I had my first real break. That's when I have a time frame I don't remember. Entirely. I had been pushed and pushed, and I was just done. I couldn't take any more, and I just wanted to get away. I climbed up on top of a cargo box outside of the uh, wash area just to be alone, just to forget the world for a little while, just to forget the smell of the dishes that were in front of me, the nauseating dunk that we fed to the pigs. The cold water washing across your hands for hours on end. The sounds of the water constantly rushing, constantly moving, constantly clanging. Your feet wet and damp on the floor, your hands shriveled. And you know, the only thing you want to do is scratch your nose, but you can't because you don't know what you're covered in you feel gross and disgusting and you just want to be away this is how i ended up feeling at the end of each shift at the cafeteria because i always got stuck on dish duty i would always walk away with a disgusting feeling and the first thing i wanted to do was go strip and take a shower which is always what i did The feeling of the shower didn't really help much because we were somewhere else and we were cramped in a small little enclosure to go get the shower. And... We could never get clean, really, out there. The sand was in everything. The sand was in everything and in my hair. I just wanted some time away from the feelings of everything. So I climbed up on this box and just let my brain go and it went so far I didn't know what was going on around me I semi-snapped to it when I got hit with a blast of cold water from the corporal down at the bottom I remember the spray but I don't remember much else beyond the smelling salts and some bleak images between that and waking up in the med tent, being revived by smelling salts, and being told that I had had a break, an episode. During this break, from what was described to me later, was that when I was hit with the water, the knife I had in my hand, for whatever reason, was put in a combat stance, Um, with the blade behind me. And I had jumped down to approach the individual and rush the corporal. When I stood in front of him, I had stopped, faced him down. Uh, One of the individuals who had played D&D with um, while I was there, one of the other Chow Hall individuals that washed dishes with me, realized what was going on. And in an attempt to help me, he grabbed a hold of the knife blade to stop me from doing any harm. As he reached his hand up to touch my shoulder, I instantly reacted and pulled away. Unfortunately, when I pulled away, the knife blade slipped through his hand. And I do mean slipped through his hand down to the bone. I apologized profusely after the fact when I found out what had happened, because this was somebody I actually liked. We never again played D&D together. That ruined those friends that I made. I was so broken, I broke the friends around me, and they ran away from me. When we got back from float, I was charged for assault on another Marine and conduct unbecoming. They didn't take my rank, they didn't take my pay. Instead, they took my future of going with them, of going overseas and being the Marine I wanted to be. They sentenced me back to my home battalion because I wasn't adapting, and also forced me to go to therapy after therapy of mental health that didn't do me any good. I was forced to go seek out treatment from the Navy doctors, um, the psychologists. My diagnoses were all over the place and never assured. I was told when I tested that I met too many positive markers, that nobody could be like me. I'm aware. I haven't found anybody like me. That I couldn't be all the different things I was. The jumbled mess that I am, I just answered truthfully. (laughs) My warrant officer, actually, she got mad at me for answering truthfully. She said, basically, WTF. And I was like, gotta be honest. And I was. And they told me I failed the psychology test. I don't know how you do that but it's true if you don't believe me it's technically records I could pull them yeah I could actually probably should <laughs> I do have a, re- a new appointment with a new psychologist so hopefully that'll help or psychiatry or therapy or whatever it's called um, so yes I am seeking help uh, beyond just this podcast but this is helping me sort my thoughts through If I could stay on track. So. Going back. They had taken away everything. and I got sent back to my parent platoon. I got sent back to the parent platoon. That already didn't like me. The. Chief Warrant Officer. Of the entire building. Who didn't like my friend John. Who held it against me. That I was friends with John. Um. I would go on to develop a database for them that was pretty much simplified their entire process. It reduced errors, increased efficiency. It was just—it was a nice piece of programming for somebody who had never been taught programming before. I had worked through all the kinks, all the. Information, everything else, and just simplified it down to one page. You input the information, and you've got all the documents you need for that marine from then on out. But I had done this on my own time. I had pushed because it's a project that I felt inspired to do. It was the first time beyond the uh, simplified database that I did, uh, where it went down in two hours. This was yet another project I took on that I was totally invested in and wanted to keep going with, and spent my individual time with, took a lot of my personal time away from me, and I devoted myself to doing this, and once it was launched, it was so efficient that when 9-11 hit, we didn't have any backlog of paperwork. When 9-11 hit, they put in a stop-loss, stop-move, which meant everyone in the Marine Corps stops. You can't go to new duty stations, which is what I was doing. I was writing orders at the time. You can't separate unless you're completely at the end of your contract. And by the way, everyone, you sign an eight-year contract. Not a four-year, not a six-year, not a two-year. You sign an eight-year contract. The other years are inactive. Okay, cool. We all understand this? It annoyed me because I saw this movie called AWOL or something like that that was based off of the individual coming back from overseas and then being recalled to active duty and then complaining about it. I did my time. No, no you didn't. You signed eight years. That'll come up later because I was recalled. Anyway, maybe I've already said that. Honestly, I'm not entirely sure what I say through podcast to podcast, so if I repeat myself, I apologize, but hopefully you enjoy hearing the story again. As long as it's constantly moving forward. Alright, so... I'm sent back. I build the database. Um, My warrant officer puts in for a Navy and Marine Corps achievement medal. It goes back and forth between the chief warrant officer, and he says that I don't rate this. She oversteps him and submits it up through. When it's submitted up through, it becomes approved. I am to receive a Navy and Marine Corps Achievement Medal for all the extra work that I'd done on the database. I was finally going to be recognized for all the work I'd done. I couldn't have been more proud of myself. I was excited that somebody paid attention to me, that somebody had helped me get to this point, that cared enough about me. If only it hadn't been shattered moments later. I received follow-up emails. From my warrant officer about how the chief warrant officer was pushing against the Navy Marine Corps Achievement Medal, that how if I was awarded it, he would ensure that there was no formation for my award. Again, I have this proof. I have the emails. I could post them, I could scan them and send them up. I believe I still have them. They're probably in the red folder. I think they're in the red folder. Might be actually with my medal. But anyway, I was told basically that I would not be receiving it in a formal way. I'd be handing it because it was no longer worth anything, and he would rip his medal off of his chest if I was awarded one. He never did, by the way. So I was to receive it, and I went around and I asked those gunnery sergeants and everyone else that I'd helped and, you know, gotten some favors in with, if they would mind sending some Marines out if There was no issue to come to a formation in order for me to receive my Navy Marine Corps Achievement Medal. Yes, that sounds great. Little did I know that Chief Warrant Officer, that hated me so, sent the Master Gunnery Sergeant around behind me to say, no, 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 that formation is not required, don't go. I wish I was making this up, because a total of about ten people came to my formation for a Navy Marine Corps Achievement Medal. One of the higher honors you can achieve while in peacetime. One of the higher honors I could achieve while just working behind my desk. And I was told I didn't rate it, even though everything in front of me said I did. I was told I didn't rate it by somebody who didn't even know me didn't know me from a hole in the wall, had never had more than a five-minute conversation with me. But something about my existence made this man hate me so much that an award that I had worked and struggled to get to, that I didn't even personally think I deserved, but somebody did, worked hard to make sure I didn't get any honors behind my award. To make it feel dishonorable, To put in the time I did, or to feel dishonored just because I cared about another individual that he didn't quite care for. That individual being John. This would crush me so much that I pretty much gave up after that. I didn't know what to do anymore. I had tried everything to impress people. I had given my all and I was being told that I was worthless. I gave up. I gave up so much I stopped pressing my camis, I stopped shining my boots, I stopped doing anything. My father was no benefit every time I called him. It was always about him and what his problems were, and as soon as I would try and discuss anything with him, he suddenly had to go. As soon as the conversation wasn't going for him, he had to go. I'd continue to visit my family during holidays, but every time I'd come back there was more, there was less and less for me to come back to. Less and less for me to see, less and less for me to interact with, less and less for me to connect to. I no longer recognized the changing environment around, the new buildings, the new splash of colors. It wasn't the memories I had anymore, and it was... shocking. It was off-putting pushed me away in a way I can't even begin to talk about. More and more, it just shoved me into this hole of you don't belong anywhere. I didn't belong in the Marine Corps, according to this chief warrant officer. I didn't belong at home anymore. Where did I belong? Where I felt I belonged the most was when I went out to the clubs. When I went out and had fun. When it wasn't going to the strip clubs with John, as much as he loved to do that. We would go to the nightclubs, and I would dance my butt off in the persona that I'd made. The walk, the moves, the culture, and everything. This creature that I had created, this lucky, he was the star of the show. He was the attitude and the ego I needed to get through the day. To have a little fun and excitement. His ego drew in people around him. He made friends. He became kind of an icon at the dance clubs for a little while. We were well known. We were some of the main people. They played our songs. They made way for us when we made it to the dance floor. And we always hosted the after parties. We hosted the after parties at my friend's house. They were an amazing individual who I found out that I had quite the uh, interest in. Uh, At the time, they were asexual and ace. I'm not quite sure what their definitions are now, but she's the one, or they are the one that introduced me to biting as much as I enjoy it now. I can't tell you how great it feels to sink your teeth into somebody. At least the sensations are wonderful for me. Um, I, sorry, I digress. So, we would have wonderful after parties and started playing Vampire the Masquerade, and it was great times. I enjoyed not going to base. I enjoyed not dealing with that life. I enjoyed just being me for a little while. Not this framed individual, not this faux, empty vessel but this excitement of life. It was a faux existence as well, but I felt happier in this one. At least I didn't feel as constrained, and I felt more accepted and more free to be myself, to express myself in different ways. I still felt like I didn't really belong. I still felt disconnected, but... I felt more in touch than I had before. Of course, my father hated my attire, he thought it was the worst in the world, and quite frequently we would discuss it in the Um Nobody ever really understood it, but it just made me feel good. didn't matter if they understood it. Shouldn't I just be accepted for what I wanted and what I felt like? Shouldn't I just be accepted for me? The dark side of gothic was what I actually fell in love with, and it turns out that that is part of who I am, that's an identity of myself, that I quite enjoy the goth and uh, culture. I enjoy the culture so much, like I said, we became icons between um, one club that we were at and another um, that we would frequent. And it was during this time that we also went to the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Now, for those of you that don't know what the Rocky Horror Picture Show is, go ahead and Google it. And then once you Google it, don't watch the movie because you actually have to go to the theater and do this. It's an interactive show, and it's an interactive live show, technically. With a big movie playing in the background, but uh, there's callbacks and excitement and fun and entertainment all around. I, again, found a spot where I felt like I belonged more. The ego continued to propel me forward, and I was popular there, too. Everyone knew me then. I was the Rocky Horror male slut. (laughs) I had earned a title, actually, um, that I was good at biting. Um, I had an individual come up to me and say, Hey, you're lucky, right? guess. Like, you're the guy who can bite, correct? Acknowledged, and they asked me to bite them, so I did. Um turns out biting is a uh, desired skill. So, that's what we did. Um, And I enjoyed my time at the Rocky Horror Picture Show. I would later come to find out that uh, one of my recent partners was there while I was there. There was an overlapping of our lives. We never met. We never introduced to each other. We each had our own issues we were dealing with at the time. And I'll get to that person eventually. I love her very much. I became, like I said, a bit of an icon in a Rocky Horror slut. It was during this time is when I met Amanda. She had come to the show with her friend, Monique. Her and Monique came to the show to just see what it was all about she would later say she was there to pick up guys or something so um i don't know what her entire story was behind that of what she would say brought her to the the show that night but she got my attention i was extremely interested in amanda right as soon as i saw her something drew me to her Well, Amanda and I kind of hit it off and we started talking and discussing. And because of my ego, because of my forcefulness, because of what I thought that a relationship and how to win and woo somebody's heart was, I became not aggressive in a. I guess there's no real easy way to say it. I gently pushed her against the wall and restrained her a little bit within bounds of she could have gotten away if she wanted to. Um. But it was kind of this weird non-consent consensual thing that hadn't been discussed. Looking back on my now updated uh, definitions of consent and everything else, I violated quite a few people, and I apologize to each and every one of them, and one day if I see you, I will apologize in person. So, moving on. Um, I got her number, and I waited, and then I called her i got her voicemail and i left a message the message was pretty much i'll be at the show come meet me i would love to see you again when she came to the show that night um she had told me she had a boyfriend that or she had a boyfriend the night before or whatever and we talked and discussed and Eventually, one thing led to another, and we found our way back to her apartment, and an evening was had. The next morning would be our first date, where she would do the can't-we-just-be-friends conversation, the one I'd heard countless times before, the one that I hadn't felt so bad about before, but for some reason this one kind of stung. This one was... wrong it made me feel used, because that's what I was. It turns out later on that she had used me to do the one-night stand before she would go commit to her high school sweetheart. That's a long, complex story that I'll eventually get into, but anyway, she was dating an Air Force guy at the time who had said, you know, hey, to get together, I've been with other people, you've only been with me, why don't you go be with somebody so we can be monogamous forever, and then at least you know. So I was to be the mark. I was to be the individual who would give her a night, and then she could go marry her high school sweetheart. I was to be used again. Now, she didn't know my background, she didn't know my story, she didn't know how frequently I'd already been used before, or how hurt I'd become in previous relationships, or how hurt I'd become from just being used by my father. I did everything I could to keep the relationship going. I wanted to continue dating this individual. She did break up with her boyfriend and eventually we started dating. Um, It was a contentious point as well, that she thought that she would be with her high school sweetheart, not that I would come in and catch her eye and whatever it was that drew her away from him. Whatever drew her away from him didn't last long because when I got out of the Marine Corps, I moved in with her. And quickly, our relationship dwindled within a week or two, where we were broken up, and I was again alone by myself in the apartment, looking for a job, struggling to find anything. I would eventually find a job as a sales clerk at Sears. Not a very good job, because they would eventually fire me for reasons that they described as failure to adapt. Because of my quiet nature, because I will talk and give honest responses when people ask me, I was semi-targeted because they said that I was... Well, I mean, they weren't wrong, to be fair. I did curse, um, occasionally when I gave my stories, but kind of the way they described it was almost like I women didn't like me because I put off a weird vibe so they had to get rid of me because of that and technically they could get rid of me for any reason because I was within my thirty-day category even though then, yeah alright, so anyway, I digress but I got a job at Sears got fired from that job, then eventually got a job waiting tables um waiting tables would help me become socially maskable even further It allowed me to mask up and influence people in ways I hadn't before. Um, I'm getting ahead of myself. So, I finally found a job, and I moved out of Amanda's apartment. When I moved into my new apartment, a studio apartment that was... It was a beautiful little apartment. I loved it. It had a spiral staircase, a one-bedroom loft for area. It was the perfect artist's apartment. It was the apartment I thought, as an artist, I always wanted. I had so many plans to decorate this thing, and I was going to do what I could. It was within my price range, for the most part. Um, I would have to cut my budget a little bit, but I could afford it. And I started calling places to put my stuff together. And as soon as I did this, that's when I found out that my ex-wife, many years ago, had never paid the frickin' electric bill. Technically, I had never paid the electric bill either before I'd left. So we had a huge back balance. The huge back balance required me to pay that before they would turn my electricity on. Well, in North Carolina, during the summertime, it is really hot. Um, and no electricity. I found ways to keep cool. A lot of it was spending time at bookstores um, and um, coffee. Well, technically it was wall files because that's all I could afford. And there was the one time that Amanda was moving out of her apartment... As she was moving out of her apartment, I was desperate for air conditioning, and her apartment had air conditioning and would still have power for a little while. She told me I could go there, and I did. I finally got to sit on the floor in an air-conditioned area and watch a little TV, I my mean, little blanket, and just me, alone. In an apartment that I had had wonderful dates with this individual, in an apartment that, you know, I thought we could build a little bit of a life together. There I was alone again. I thought about just being done then, too. I didn't want to keep doing this. I didn't want to keep feeling that way. I, like I said, moved out, got my apartment eventually I got the electricity turned on when I paid the bill but it was short lived I only ended up staying at the apartment for like 2 or 3 months um, long enough for whatever prepayments I did and upfront payments because I couldn't really afford it, it turns out because I got fired from Sears like I said and I got my job at Red Lobster but I didn't have time to make up the money and make up the difference um, so I moved in with Amanda again I left my little artistic apartment and moved in with Amanda again. Because I hadn't learned my lesson the first time. So I moved in with her and to this townhouse and we started dating again. And then eventually we broke up again. And this cycle of back and forth, break up, get together, break up, get together, would have me on on and off the couch so frequently that I lost count. Eventually, I gave up and said, you know what, never mind, I'm just going to go back home to Ohio. A lot of that had to do with my father speaking in my ear about how nothing was going right and how she was out doing whatever. And I mean, he wasn't wrong that she was out doing whatever, but that was her prerogative, it was her life. And I was no one to tell her what to do. Nor should I have, ever. But that was the type of man that I was supposed to be, to keep control of my woman, to know where she's at and put her in place. I thought that I was in love with Amanda this entire time. Now, I'd later come to find out what a true love of Amanda was, and I really love her as a friend. Um, I would never really want a relationship with her again, even though it would be fun to talk to and hang out and have, you know, a close, cordial friendship. But I don't think anything beyond that would ever happen. I totally lost track of where I was at. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, moving back, I thought I was in love with her. Um, and I did everything I could to make this relationship work. Eventually, I just got so tired I moved, like I said, moved back to Ohio for a month. Ended up waiting tables at the same time. You know, franchise up there as I did down, uh, down here, and during that time, Amanda and I talked back and forth, and it turns out she kind of semi got with one of her friends while she was there, and I was kind of seeing somebody else on the side. But we decided to get back together again, and then I drove all the way back and moved back in, and then back and forth on the couch again, being broken up and back together again. This was the cycle that would continue for the next year until one day I received a phone call from a Marine Corps recruiter. The Marine Corps recruiter said, "Hey, there Lance Corporal Bontiki, why don't you come on back to the Marine Corps?" Well, do I have a chan- uh, do I have a choice? I did right then and there. And my choices were I could stay stateside or I could go overseas. I always wanted to go overseas and here I was in a tumultuous relationship of just pure chaos and I didn't know what to do. But I had the idea that Amanda said if she ever got married, she'd be with that man forever. This sounded like a great idea to me, sounded like a wonderful idea. She needed insurance, I was in love with her, I would do anything for her, we were going to be happy once all this was over and we'd be married and done and on with life. So I proposed. We got married in a courthouse wedding. We did all the little fun stuff ourselves, got dressed up real nice and made a cake and a few little wedding things and, you know, just had some fun with it. Her friend at the time came with us and made the evening of our wedding about herself. About her and her relationship with her boyfriend, who were supposed to be our witnesses. Instead, they decided on our wedding night that that was the night that they would have a huge blowout argument, where they wouldn't want to talk to each other, where we would spend the evening, where we were supposed to be in premarital bliss of about to do everything, trying to convince our witnesses to calm down enough to come to the courthouse with us, because we wanted to get married, and they were here as our witnesses. It was a cold and very quiet car ride to the courthouse, but by the time we got to the courthouse, they had made up and everything was fine so we went in and got married her in her white dress me in my black outfit doing what i could for the woman i loved we went back and on the way back the two individuals made out in the back seat of the car and then again made it all about themselves We would have a fun little celebration back at the house with cake and everything. and We made it our own little wedding night. I would then report later for my first year back in the Marine Corps again. I'd been out of the Marine Corps for an entire year and the recruiter had gotten me back in. I was married to the woman I loved back in the Marine Corps I loved. Back, making something of myself again, and as much as I would love to say that that's where the happy ending started, it's not. It's where it all kind of started falling apart again, where I would not be in place in the military, where I would not be in place in this relationship, where I'd be questioned and consumed and racked with guilt consumed and racked with the idea that I just didn't belong anywhere that's where I'm gonna leave it for the evening leave it on the end tail end of my second ex-wife the beginning of our relationship and the start of my second time in the marine I really do appreciate everyone that has listened to us so far. For those that have listened the entire time, you've kind of... you've helped a lot. Um, It's a weird comfort to see people listening to the story. It's a weird comfort to know that maybe... I can be reminded of some happy memories. Because like I said, my siblings have reached out a little bit, and they've listened, and they've encouraged, and it's been nice. The downside of this is that as much as I logically know all that, my brain can no longer accept it as truth. This is why I need people to listen, to prevent this trauma from happening again, to make it so that that way, the next person is a little less broken than I am. Thank you all for tuning in to another episode of Product of Birth, a Shattered Subjectivity Podcast. Please like, share, and subscribe. Music provided by Zapsplat.com. Get this story out to anyone who needs to hear and know this. For those who need it, I love you. For those who hurt so badly, I feel you. For those still listening, I understand. You do not stand alone. I'm here with you.
0: W Group, no purchase necessary. Avoid where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.